station from Sports Radio 92.7. WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan. This is Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Featuring the best of the best from today's conversations, observations, and ruminations. Because great radio is still fresh the second time around. Earlier today on the Mac and Bone Show. Welcome back, everybody. Mac and Bone Show in the Queen City of North Carolina. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Panthers, final game before the bye week, and this one is a doozy. You do not see 13.5 or 14-point spreads very often in the NFL, and there is a reason why. This Dolphins team is one imposing opponent. The Panthers, on the other hand, the opposite of that. Uh, And a man that will be calling this game, and he's had a couple of Miami games. He's going to be able to shed some good light on the Dolphins and what makes them so special. Uh, He is Kevin Harlan. He'll have the game along with Trent Green on CBS this weekend. And Kevin joins us. Kevin, we appreciate you, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, guys, for having me on this morning. I will tell you this. Last year, we had a game in Houston with the Kansas City Chiefs. I think they were the winless Texans or they were the one-win Texans. It was late, like November of last year. Kansas City, I think, was about that kind of favorite, 13, 14-point favorite, (laughs) and the Texans took them to overtime. Now, the difference is the game was in Houston, and Kansas City may have been looking a little bit beyond that. And listen, same may be true for the Dolphins. They've had great success. They're a high-powered offense, like the Chiefs were a year ago. Uh, and you, you never know in the NFL. So I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that it stays close, and, and who knows what will happen. Uh, that seems what it's uh, what's been the story so far this year in the NFL. I like it, Bone. He's telling us any given Sunday, all right? We're, we're waiting for our Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> We've been looking for hope all week, and it comes in the form of Kevin Harlan. We love it. <laughs> oh, man. So I mentioned, Kevin, you had Miami. Uh, you've had Miami a couple of times this year. You've seen – this, this what a fun team. I mean, they're not going to be fun for us on Sunday, but man, they're a fun team to watch just as a neutral fan. Um, how impressed have you been offensively? Like what? And you've talked to Coach McDaniel a couple times. Uh, I'm sure in these production meetings. Like how impressive is he in, in this offense up close? Uh, unbelievable, like almost indescribable. Quite frankly, they've got the most yards by any offense uh, in a historical way. Uh, through the first five weeks of the season. Uh, their quarterback has uh, kind of reinvented himself physically with uh, all kinds of ways to protect himself. I think we're all familiar with the tongue of Iloa's uh, concussion issues of a year ago. He's taken uh, martial arts in a protective way so that he knows how to fall and take a hit. He has strengthened his neck. He's changed his diet. He's added weight, muscle. And it really has kind of started with him. He's a unique quarterback with maybe the most beautiful throwing motion I've ever seen. We've seen some great ones in the history of the NFL, but this kid, it, it, it's, it's almost like poetry watching him throw. He's, he's accurate. He's quick. He's fluid. He's smooth. Uh, he's got great rhythm. The offense reflects everything about that. They've got the two fastest wide receivers on one team in the NFL, they got a running game that is stronger and as fast as the wide receivers are. And the offensive line has been just good enough to make all of this work. So you're in for a real treat. If you love football, and this is kind of the next generation of NFL offense, uh, you're going to love watching Miami. It may, it may be against your team. Better days are ahead, clearly. But, but this Miami team is a treat to watch if you love offensive football. Kevin, how high is the ceiling in the immediate for the Dolphins? I know they got blown out by Buffalo a couple weeks ago, but do you think that in this particular season they can be on that that Chiefs-like plane that working at a team here so good offensively, they could come out of the AFC this year? Well, that, that's a good question, and, and I think it's going to be a week-to-week discussion point because it's been so long since they've had this kind of dominance that you really don't know how all of them are going to react as one. Uh, It's a a second-year head coach uh, ever. Uh, He's been a longtime assistant, Mike McDaniel. He talked about him a second ago. And um, and, and so this is a coaching staff and a group of players that have all been in rebuilding modes or in wait-till-next-year mode, and 
Well, next year is now, and and I think they've got enough on both sides of the ball. But they made two big things happen in the off season. They knew they had to improve on the defensive end, and they hired Vic Fangio, who was um, with Philadelphia toward the end of last season and in the playoffs as a defensive consultant. We remember him as the head coach with the Broncos, but his his greater resume would tell you he's one of the best defensive minds still in the NFL. So they got the right defensive guy coordinating their defense. And then they traded, uh, they got um, Jalen Ramsey, a three-time all-pro cornerback, um, who was with the Rams most recently and before that, as we know, with Jacksonville. And he, on the second day of training camp, tore his meniscus. So he is still waiting to be um, on the field, and that will happen in November, early December, they hope. And that will make a good defense even better. But they've got enough defensively to make him go. And I think that was kind of the last big portion of the rebuild that they had to figure out. They've done that. The offensive Bones have been there going back to last season. Now the defense, I think, has got their compass pointed in the right direction. We're talking to Kevin Harlan. He's going to have Panthers and Dolphins on Sunday, along with Trent Green uh, and Melanie Collins. I, uh, let, I want to ask you about our head coach, Frank Reich, um, because all you're describing with this Miami offense, like David Tepper had this, you know, ha- had this vision early on. It, it, it's a little shaky, but his vision is get the quarterback and get an offensive head coach to work with that quarterback and then get an offensive staff of reputable guys to work with that quarterback. It's off to a shaky start, but but that's what he's looking for here. I'm sure you covered Frank Reich. I'm sure you've done games, you know, when he was a head coach in Indy. What's your, what, have, what have you, your experience has been with Frank Reich, and, and what do you think about him as, as a coach? Well, I think he brings a calm and a direction to a team. He's an organizer. He's a unifier. Um, I'm not sure what he took over when he, when he got that job, but we know that the change was made. I think it's a completely different culture and environment. And from afar, and that is really the only way I can talk about it because we've not met with him yet, not seen him in person. From afar, um, it appears that they're just going through the, the basic growing pains of a team that's just trying to change course in midstream. It's difficult to do in the NFL. You've got a rookie quarterback. You've got a, a new set of guidelines and principles and, and rules that you're trying to abide by that are different from the previous regime. And, and all that takes a while to kind of, you know, work itself out. But his track record is strong. And I would say that, that of all the coaches you could have gone for, and with a young quarterback like Bryce, who, who I think has a pretty unlimited ceiling, although we're, we're, we're watching growing pains for a young quarterback, as we did with Tua, as they did with a lot of these young guys, um, I think he's got the right voice in his head, and and he 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 gives the right temperament to this stage of the rebuild. And and the the, the first part of a rebuild and changing direction is always the most uncomfortable, and we see it with with most of the teams that that go through this. And certainly that that is the case with the Panthers right now. But I have no doubt that that his vision will take hold, and they'll get the kind of players that. We'll play under that vision. It's just going to take time, and that's kind of where you are right now as a as a fan base, as uncomfortable as it seems. Yeah, Kevin, you mentioned the word growing pains in describing Bryce Young, and as you can imagine, that's what we're dealing with right now, week in, week out. But as you've seen the sports world evolve in your great career to where it is now, social media has taken off. Everybody's got a take. There's all these endless debate shows where they have to have takes every five minutes, where now – People want to declare athletes busts right away. Bryce is four games in his career, despite them playing five. And we deal with people, whether it be media or fans, that want to make these sweeping declarations about an athlete already. What's your take right now sort of on how athletes are treated, especially for a young guy like Bryce Young, who people already saying is a misfire by the Panthers? Well, at the, at the end of the day, these are young kids, and, and I get it, and they're professional, and they know what they're getting into, and, and, uh, and luckily for most of them, <clears throat> Bryce's age, uh, they've been dealing with, with social media for a long time. Certainly he did at Alabama. Uh, Andy Dalton may be a little bit different when he first got in the league. It may not have been as stressful, as big a, uh, a part of the equation, but, but clearly Bryce is used to that, and playing at a a school like Alabama and having, you know, the big stage that that kind of school had every 
Saturday in every, you know, bowl season. Um, he's used to it. He was a highly recruited kid. He went through it in high school. But the social media thing for these kids is is kind of like part and parcel with what they go through. Kind of like, um, you know, we always talk about these NBA players playing with different players, playing on different teams, playing at different uh, uh, times of the day and all this. And, and that's what AAU was. AAU was all that stuff. I, I just think they're, they're, they're brought up in a, in a different kind of stage of where the sport is and where society is than the guys that are like, well, you know, mid-30s like Andy Dalton. So, uh, although Andy is, is certainly familiar with it, it's, and it's never easy. I mean, I don't care if you hear, a, if you hear any kind of, a, you know, criticism from a family member or from some guy in his, in his mom's basement, <laughs> the, 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 the thing always is going to be there, and that is, is it's very, very difficult to handle criticism. But I think these kids are pretty resilient, and I think in so many ways they've got, They've got kind of a, 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 a mechanism built in them that they can kind of shed that type of criticism and that kind of, and that kind of thing. And they tune it out, which is I give them credit because it's hard to do. I don't care yeah. who you hear it from, but it's, it's, it's difficult any way you look at it, for yeah. sure. And I think Bryce is that quintessential athlete you're talking about. I think he just he's focused on the task. Last question, and it's one that I have to ask you, Kevin, all right? When you are out in public and you're going to a grocery store or restaurant or whatever, is there a particular call you made that people like say? Like, I would think people say to you all the time, no regard for human life. Your call on the LeBron dunk. Is that the number one, or is there Why another? I can't do the calls, all right? That, yeah, I shouldn't even try to imitate the goat. I shouldn't even try. But no, it, no. Like, what do they say well, to you? <laughs> no, you know what? I, I, I'm, 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 uh, <laughs> unless I say something like to a waiter or waitress, no one, no one, no one who knows who I am, which really? is great. And if they do, they'll mention, um, Maybe the two games at once, or or the LeBron thing. I mean, it, it kind of changes uh, from time to time, and and um, but it doesn't happen that much. I, I'm a I'm a dad, and I'm a, a husband, and I, I I try to hide actually as much as possible, and don't get involved in in a lot of that stuff. And when they say something nice, I kind of nod and thank them, and and that's about the extent of it. But um, uh, you know, there with all of us in the broadcasting business, there's always a phrase or a call or something that that comes up that that they may you know enjoy which is always incredibly flattering and and so nice that they would take the time to even mention it um i was in las vegas doing the monday night game and after the game we went out to uh dinner myself and mike golick and in our crew because it was still early out there the game started so early so we're having dinner and 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 somebody came up and asked about me doing packers preseason football <laughs> and and that was a uh, that was a kind of a nice thing that they take the time to to say something. So I I just kind of go through it like that. Always appreciative and enjoy my business. And uh, but I do enjoy my private time as well. And, and like I said, I it, it doesn't happen that often, which I'm kind of glad about, especially for my kids who kind of roll their eyes every time I say something anyway. I go, Dad, you got to be careful. Dad, you got to watch out. You can't be saying that stuff. And uh, and I'm like, oh, I better. I better be careful, and I better start watching what I say. Kevin, so I, uh, more on guard I, than probably most. I, I turned 40 uh, this weekend, and in my sports life and when I started watching sports, it kind of coincides with your rise to, to what you've become now as this legendary figure. So thank you for all the – all the moments, whether it's the NBA, March Madness, which we hear a lot of here, obviously, uh, NFL, man, you have been uh, such a big part of our lives. And the best thing I could say about a broadcaster like you is that you make every time you're calling one of our team's games, any game, you make it feel like that game is important. It's kind of like when when Musburger was doing there You have that feel that when you're on a game, whether the Panthers are winless or not, we feel like we matter because you're on the call. So thank you for being that way, Kevin. Well, what a what a kind what a kind way to start my day, and what nice words. Thank you. You're sure nice to say that. Um, I I am a uh, I, I love my business. I, I love the broadcasting business. We all do, or we wouldn't be in it just like the two of you. 
Um, but um, your your words are most appreciated. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a nice way to start my day to hear that. All right, and Thank all you. I wanted to tell you, Kat, that was very nice from Bone. I, I wanted to just I was tell just trying to get him to happy birthday to me to begin with. I just, yeah. Is that what you're No, I'm just kidding. I just wanted to tell you, Kevin, that next time I'm in a press box with you, I will scream at you no regard for human life. That would be me. Please all right? do. Okay. I want to get back to Charlotte, and I want to get in that beautiful stadium. And uh, Charlotte's one of my favorite stops. We, we don't see it enough at TNT and the NBA. We certainly don't see it because we Fox is the basic NFC uh, broadcaster, so we don't see it much for CBS. Yeah. Uh, but my happiest, uh, some of my happiest moments were when I was doing the Timberwolves, and I'd see Steve Martin, and we'd do the Hornet games, and I'd see all those with Gil McGregor, see all those wonderful people down there, and, uh, and, and really miss more frequent trips to Charlotte. So listen, I am... I am all in on the Hornets and all in on the Panthers and, and can't wait to get there. And I do hope we cross paths in person. And I can uh, thank you again for your very nice uh, conversation and nice uh, kind yeah, absolutely. compliments. All right, Kev. We By the way, flame flamethrower is my favorite basketball term. You oh, have. that's yeah. a good one, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's that's strong, one. too. No, You can yell that at him. I you will, can yell yeah. that. All right, Kevin. Hey, have a great call uh, in Miami, and we'll talk to you, man. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Really nice to visit with you guys. Take care. Have a nice day. Right, Kevin. Be good. Hey, Kevin, thank you, man. Sure. Thank you guys very much. It was very nice. Call again, please. We got hey, it. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks, Kevin. Take Listen to Mac and Bone every weekday morning from 6 to 10. Instant replay continues with more in a moment. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. Earlier today on Charlotte Sports Today with Jeff Record. Bring in my good friend, Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News, and he's kind enough to join us this morning on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. And Mike, I had texted you even last night as, as closely as I follow sports and, and the NCAA and all those things, like I, I'm still not sure exactly what just happened and how much money we spent to figure this out. <laughs> what, what can you tell us about what has happened and what it means moving forward? Well, what, basically what this was, I think the, the important thing to understand is that in after, after the, uh, FBI Justice Department investigation of the basketball talent game. We everybody said college basketball it wasn't an investigation strictly of, of college basketball. It's, that's an inaccurate description. It it, it, it went beyond that um, because it involved agents and money managers and 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 high school people and it was a lot of different things. And college, there were four college assistant coaches at the time arrested uh, by the FBI and. They faced various different penalties uh, after after that. Uh, some spent time in uh, custody. Uh, I believe some did not. Uh, but it they, there were various different penalties. So the president of the NCAA at the time, Mark Emmert, appoints this commission led by former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. They're going to fix everything, man. They were going to get it all fixed, right? So they spent, I don't know, six, eight months, somewhere around there. Um, and then they held this really self-important press conference wherein Condoleezza Rice only uh, agreed to speak with uh, those pre-approved by her PR firm uh, in individual. She refused to take questions from the assembled reporters, which was nice. And they, she came up. She and their team came up with a variety of different suggestions, and most of them avoided the major issues. and And most of them were pretty fanciful and not really on the mark. And there was one that seemed like it might be good, and that was the construction of 
a outside body to adjudicate NCAA infraction cases, which became known as the Independent Accountability Review Process. What a great they, name, huh? Yes. I'm sorry, the Independent Accountability Resolution Process. Don't want to get the acronym wrong. Uh, so the IARP heard several of the cases that came out of the FBI thing and one or two others, including one at the University of Memphis. And they were not good at this at all. Uh, the people complained about the Infractions Committee. And remember, the Infractions Committee uh, comprise, comprises uh, mostly uh, mostly employees at member schools, some athletic departments, some faculty reps, some law professors have been on it at times, um, and some outside uh, people that get involved as well. But the vast majority are volunteers from member schools and they, they've, they've been criticized for their work and, and fairly so. And I've, I'm sure that at various times I've done it, but the IARP was way worse at the job. And if I'm not wrong, I think they got paid for it, which makes it even worse. Uh, <laughs> Folks like they, that they don't do anything on get, charity. Let's be honest, Mike. Yeah. They took forever to get through these things. Uh, when they came down, uh, I, I don't think that they, I don't think their their conclusions were reasonable. I mean, I, I think of uh, when you look at I, I have in front of me their decision from yesterday, and uh, they uh, this is about Kansas, and the hearing panel found two level two violations and two level three violations of NCAA. Now, here's what they said: the institution was responsible for the actions of a apparel company outside consultant, a representative of athletics of. Uh, athletics interest when he arranged to provide $4,000 in extra benefits to the mother of a men's basketball prospective student athlete on or about September 23rd, 2017. And then it says the hearing panel found this to be a level two violation. Well, I'm sorry, but that's, if, if that happened, that's a level one. And I don't care what you do with punishing them, but you can't massage the reality. That's not a small thing. That's $4,000. That's not a small thing. And and it goes on from there. But that was the very definition of why the IARP was a waste of time. And I I can say this, because I was getting press releases not from the NCAA, but an outside organization that's here in Indianapolis, a a public relations firm, I know they spent money on that. So I I never uh, endeavored to find out if the IARP... uh, people themselves were compensated. I think they were, but I know the PR firm was. So they spent money on this that was ultimately a colossal waste. That's kind of how it felt like with me, and I just wanted to make sure I wasn't missing anything because it did get convoluted and kind of crazy for a while there. And so many people in our neck of the woods are really mad at the NCAA and have been for a long time, but especially in light of the recent Tez Walker case, which, you know, Mac Brown and the NCAA were going back and forth on that whole thing. I'll just give you this question from one of my listeners. Myron said, at this point, other than maybe the basketball tournament, what's the NCAA good for at this point in time? And I know that you're well, reasoned that, about this, so I know there's yes. a good answer here. Yeah, I mean, they, there's a lot that they do, and there's a lot that they do really well. Uh, you know, they, 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 they've never been great cops, but that's really not what they should be. I mean, you shouldn't have to constantly worry that the member institutions that are institutions of higher learning are breaking rules to win football or basketball games. I mean, you, sh- you shouldn't have to worry about that. That shouldn't be your biggest concern. And a lot of what the NCAA has gotten involved in is the fault of the member institutions because they don't trust one another. Uh, that's where the whole initial eligibility process uh, became a thing. The NCAA shouldn't be involved in that. I mean, the, the university should be able to manage their own admissions processes uh, to, for better or worse. Uh, they should be able to decide who is worthy of being enrolled at their institution. If they can't do that, why are they there? So I, I think that the, the, a lot of what the NCAA gets blamed for is the fault of the member institutions. And, and let's be honest, Tez Walker is, is, is a prime example of that. Uh, the, the member institutions, and that includes a lot of football coaches and includes one who dresses up in Carolina blue every Saturday, argued hard 
for changes to the transfer rules. And it happens that they it were put into place after Tez transferred to Carolina, but not before he played for them. And so they ultimately, I believe, were applied to him. Now, that may or may not be fair, and I'm not arguing for or against his case. I don't know enough about what, uh, what would have motivated a waiver to say yes or no, but I know enough about the process to know who is at fault. And it's the people who are at fault are the people who passed the rule. And then ultimately, the, the, if you don't like the, the waiver decision, it also goes on the people who are, again, representatives of member institutions who, who uh, adjudicated that waiver uh, and, and decided against it initially, and not uh, the people who work here in Indy. They, they're mostly just running championships, uh, administering various programs that belong to the NCAA. They do a really good job at what they do for the most part. And the fantasy that if everybody just left the NCAA, everything would be better. Well, who would write the rules? The same people who wrote the rules you don't like now. Who would enforce the rules? The people they would hire, and where would they get them? I don't know. They'd probably call the NCAA because those people have experience. So leaving, you know, disbanding the NCAA or discarding it or leaving it or or whatever is no solution to anything. Here's the problem, I think, that that underlies all of it, Mike, and and I've felt this way for a long time. Because it is a member institution, it is of, by, and for, as you mentioned, Mac Brown, North Carolina, UCLA, Washington, head coaches, athletic directors all over the place there. It is of, by, and for them. How do you ever get hundreds of institutions to agree on the rules and what's right and what's not right when every day every one of them is trying to do something to undercut the guy across the street? Well, that's why that's why we have the process that we have, and that's why people complain about it whenever it goes against them. But if 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 it goes in favor of their opponent, then they complain about that. If, if that's that's the way it works, because they're all trying to win football and basketball. And so that's the ultimate destination. It, it, it's all, you know, uh, and, and I'm a big believer in the value of college athletics. I, I, I did not devote 40 years of my life to covering it if I didn't think it was a worthy pursuit. But there are problems, certainly, and most of them are created by that desire to get the edge, uh, the desire to be the team that wins the championships and uh, and that's the, that being the primary focus. And those who put that at, as too much of a focus uh, lead so many of the others to feel like there need to be particular rules in place, some of which are, are obvious and, and easy to enforce, and some of which are arcane and difficult to enforce. Mike, I always love to uh, remember the fact that I, I think the greatest college basketball game I ever witnessed, you and I were sitting next to each other at the old All-State Arena in Chicago when uh, – Arizona and Illinois were playing, and Illinois completed this insane last two-minute comeback in overtime. When you remember that game? Oh, of course, absolutely. The NCAA tournament. Well, having having laid that backdrop down, like I know, and, and people who follow know that you cover college basketball and have, as you said, for the last forty years. How good can Duke be this year? Very. Uh, they they can they can win it without a doubt. Uh, they have they have everything you need. Uh, it, it appears. Uh, rim protection, I think, will be the one element that we need to see. Uh, how how do they defend the rim? That's usually a, a, a significant component of the championship team. Uh, but uh, if they if that proves to be covered, I think they have everything else they need. They've got dynamic wing play. They've got uh, a, a tremendous uh, talent in Kyle Filipowski. They've got an elite talent in, in Proctor. Uh, they've got pretty much everything that you would want to have. I'm honestly surprised that uh, that people are discarding them as uh, as as favorites. I, I would have thought that there would be a rush to anoint them as favorites. Uh, I, I think there are teams that have more experienced college players, but I'm not sure there, there are many teams that are more talented than Duke. All right, buddy. Thanks, as always, for your time. I can't wait to hook up with you again. We'll do lunch soon. All right. That sounds great, Jeff. Thank you. Listening to WFNZ on 92.7 FM and WFNZ.com on the WFNZ app and by asking your smart device to play Sports Radio WFNZ. 
McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This afternoon on the Wesson Walker Show. the 12 o'clock hour here on Weston Walker trying to figure out ways where the Carolina Panthers can show a little something against Miami got Jack feeling good about the Panthers he said we're beating Miami and and we're winning our next three after the bye Walker how about that you like where Jack is right now in a mental space Hey, as a fan, you have to always believe. I mean, there's always a slight chance. We see upsets <laughs> in the league in every sport, NFL. That's why mm-hmm. I said I'm not going to give the Panthers a 0% chance because, as I said, that goes with my Queen City Magic theory that teams in Charlotte will pull one out of their keister uh, when you think they have no chance at all. And this is certainly one of those games where you would think Miami's going to run it up and score 70 or whatever the case, and then you'll turn on the TV and it'll be 17-14 in the doggone top of the fourth quarter. (laughs) And you'll be like, what the hell is going on? This would feel like one of the wilder upsets that we've ever seen. Yes, it would be. There are people discussing the Panthers possibly going defeated. Detroit Lions style. Yes. Not having a single win this season Mm -hmm. against that team that scored 70 in a game. It would be one of the more wild upsets. I'll say this. One of the other wilder upsets that I've ever seen for Carolina. I feel like PJ Walker coming in last year against Tampa Bay and playing the best game that we had seen recorded up until that point. I know people make fun of me for that one. Like Fitty loves saying, oh, PJ Walker is a God, whatever. Hey, man. I'm not saying I want him starting for my team. That game, he played as good as any QB in the league. That game was crazy. He played against Tampa Bay. And you needed every single bit of it in order to pull off an upset like that. Yeah, That was nuts. So can we get that magic from Bryce Young? Can we get him floating to his left, fireballing 35 yards downfield on the sideline to somebody not DJ Moore who (laughs) caught that pass? Can we get Terrace Marshall or Adam Thielen receiving that? I don't know. Do you know where my Queen City magic theory began? We've talked about it before on Locked On. Well, on Locked On, but it was a long time ago. Well, I was just saying, just for the the listeners out there, when when I was a young lad and the Panthers were in the NFC West and they had their ragtag bunch, the Mark Carriers of the world, Mm -hmm. Anthony Johnson, Tyrone Pools, and things like that, and... uh, you know, my 49ers would come in, Steve Young, Jerry Rice, you know, popping. And the Panthers would either play them to the death or beat them. And it used to drive me insane. Yep. Like, I'd be in the house throwing, just angry. And then the Hornets, too, man. It felt like every time Michael Jordan came to town, i never forget Larry Johnson hitting a backward shot, throwing it up over his head as he's falling backward as it banks in. They win the game, and I was like, man, I said, Charlotte, boy, I said, just when you think they're not going to get it done, they do, and then they'll come out and lose to somebody they got no business losing to. I mean, <laughs> B.J. Armstrong gave us a little Queen City magic when yeah. we got to win that playoff game, the last dance, Chicago Bulls. Yeah. We saw that. It was cool to see the Rick Bennell, Michael Jordan reading the Rick Bennell write-up in the Charlotte Observer. The last dance caught that footage with just – what a snapshot that is. But there was some Queen City magic. Yeah. And then Michael, as he's one to do, took it personally. <laughs> and then they beat him. And that's the game, by the way. We all know the famous Michael Jordan having a cigar in his mouth, swinging the bat in the locker room. I believe it was after that game. Everybody wants to talk bleep when they up. But what about when you're down? And I was like, oh, my. Why am I scared? He's not playing me. Why am I scared of MJ at this moment? Yeah. And then, of course, they would win every single game after that. But for that one moment, Wes, we did have some Queen City magic. Mm -hmm. What's the way it happens? Let's talk about it. Let's create the optimism here. What is the way that I'm not even going to say that the Panthers win? What is the way that the Panthers have a chance to win? At the end of this game, have possession within the final two minutes, some scenario where they have a shot to come out victorious. How does it happen, Wes? 
Woo! I mean, you would go with, I guess, old football logic where you thinking you got to be able to run the ball and control the clock. And then the pass rush, they got to be on one and just be yeah. disruptive. That would be scenario one. I mean, scenario two, it would just have to be some type of out of the ordinary game where the Panthers offense just all of a sudden wakes up because uh, this Miami Dolphins defense now, they do yeah. have some things that are scary about them, but they're 23rd in yards allowed per game, 18th in rushing yards allowed per game, 16th in rushing yards per attempt, 20th in passing net yards per game. So there are opportunities there. The only scary part about this defense is that they are uh, they're tied for third in sacks, and they lead the league in quarterback hits. So I know Panthers fans don't want to hear that one, especially with Bryce Young back there. They lead the league in quarterback hits, but it would just have to be one of those games where Frank Reich just says, the hell with it, we're going to be aggressive, and things are hitting, where they, they're able to keep up somehow, some way, and score 30-plus, and then the defense just has a out-of-body experience. Yeah, the problem is, I, I went back to this, uh, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, when the Miami Dolphins were set to play the Bills, and the conversation was, how are the Bills going to beat the Dolphins? How are they going to pull off that upset? Dan Orlovsky on ESPN was saying, no, the Bills have to be aggressive offensively. There's none of this whole control in the time of possession stuff. No, you got to be aggressive. you got to challenge downfield, and you got to score as many points as possible. And they scored 48, and Miami only scored 20. So game script dictated that Devon Achan, despite having 100 yards, he only had eight carries. So you you put it into his hands solely, really, where they only had 19 rushes, Wes, in that game against Buffalo because the Bills got off to an early lead. That's going to be tough to ask Carolina to do because their offense is not Buffalo's. They do not have a Stephon Diggs. They don't have a Gabe Davis to stretch the field, and they don't have Josh Allen. It, could you think of a bigger difference at QB from Bryce Young than Josh Allen? Like Anthony Richardson, maybe? Sure. But they're very different. <laughs> so that's what you're looking at right now. 19 carries for Miami. I think you do want to hold them to a point where, as, as crazy as it sounds, we know Carolina has not been good stopping the run. I almost want Tua to throw the ball a lot more, Wes. I know it's crazy, but I do. Right? you got to pick your poison here. If Tua throws an interception, and he's been prone to him a little bit. He's thrown five. In the games that have been close against the Bills where they lost, he threw one interception. In the game against the New England Patriots, that was only 24-17 to 17 win. Patriots had a shot at the end of that game. Remember, we almost saw an offensive lineman catch a tipped pass, almost get the first down off of that, except he was a little short. Miami ends up winning, but Tua threw an interception in that game. If he gets past his first and second read and each of those are covered, you watch some NFL matchup stuff. That's when he starts to get a little happy feet. You know, can you cover long enough? It seems like a stretch, but we're trying to stretch this into a legitimate conversation, Wes. And if you can make him hold on to the football just a little bit, mm -hmm. then maybe you have a shot to keep this thing closer to the point where you have a shot at the end. And that's the thing, too, man. To go up against an offense like this, it is imperative that you have four defensive linemen capable of getting home. That's that's the key to the whole deal. Or you have to at least be able to rush for and get home so that you can drop seven. You got to have linebackers that can cover and run. And you got to have DBs, obviously, that are uh, savvy, veteran-type guys if they're not able to run with these guys in addition to having the requisite IQ. But that's the thing. The Panthers are going to have to be able to get home with three to four guys. That's the only hope that they have in this passing game. That's why I said Brian Burns and Derek Brown, this is the game for you. Show us why you should be cornerstones of this defense by taking over games like this. It's not like it's just one guy and everything falls on Brian Burns because YGM has been playing good football as well. But all pass rushers on deck. Derek Brown is going to have to be on one for this team because that's it. If Everett's going to have to constantly blitz now, there could be some scenarios where his blitzes, they're just cooking and he's just getting home. They're getting home whenever. But if you're not able to do that, the next best thing is you've got to be able to start at a baseline foundation of getting four guys after that quarterback, three to four. They can get home by the Tua and then uh, guys holding it down out there in coverage because other than that, it's going to be a hard time. If you got to start bringing five, six, and those blitzes are getting picked up, that's mm -hmm. when you start to see 
those heavy scores. The strength of their offensive line is on the outside, especially with Armstead. Mm-hmm. And so if you can get interior pass rush, this is a big old Derrick Brown game. I mean, if you can if you can rush the passer, yeah, you would love for them to stop the run. Derrick Brown is really the only guy that you trust that can be able to do that. But also, if you can provide that interior pass rush where Tua ain't able to step up in the pocket, that's big. That's big. If he can't step up in the pocket yeah. by time and then figure out a way to just let Tyreek run wild. And with the throw time, like you said, man, you got to get there. Mm-hmm. You got to have that plan early. and get there. You can hear Wes and Walker live and local every weekday afternoon from noon to 3. Sit tight and stay locked because Instant Replay continues next. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. The exclusive home of the Charlotte Sports Fan. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Instant Replay on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. Because great radio the second time around is always twice as nice. Earlier this afternoon on the Kyle Bailey Show. And now we bring in from the Raleigh News and Observer, longtime sports columnist, voice of the people out there. The great Luke DeCock is with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline uh, to keep the triangle love going on a Thursday. What's going on, brother? How are things? It's good. It's refreshing. Last week we were at odds over Major League Baseball, and this week we're all singing from the same hymn book. Are we? What are we singing? Well, I don't know. You were the, uh, you were saying we were feeling good about the triangle. Oh, oh, oh. Hearing you say that. Okay, no good. No, that's fine. I'm glad you said Okay, no, I, I'm on the same page now. It's good to have you back. Now, Luke, um, full disclosure, brother, I was watching playoff baseball last night, so I, I kept an eye on the Canes. Saw the highlights this morning, but uh, I know that doesn't tell the story of a game. So um, with that in mind... What did I miss last night in a 5-3 win to open what could be a very promising season at PNC? Yeah, I mean, this is this is kind of what I wrote, but, you know, the, the Ottawa is like a really good young team. They got some goaltending issues, and their goaltending wasn't very good last night. But they, they get, you know, they they stepped to the plate. They were up one nothing. They, they, they were down 3-1, tied it up 3-3. And the Hurricanes did what older, veteran, stronger, meaner teams used to do with the Hurricanes, which is, both times after falling behind and then after the Senators tied up, just kind of put their foot on the Senators' throat and took all the drama out of the game and made it a very comfortable win. So that's, it's all part of the sort of the evolution of a franchise. The guys the Hurricanes brought in over the summer all have some edge to them. Um, the guys who were these little, young, fresh-faced kids who everybody loved, now they're the guy that you're not so sure you're rooting for as much. Um, you know, you're not, you're not quite sure about this guy. You know, Marty Natchez, his head looks like it's a concrete block now. He's growing into his body. Sebastian Ajo's covered in scars. You know, Jordan Stahl and Brent Burns are getting closer to 40. Um, this is a team whose moment has arrived. And Ottawa's a team, is their moment's coming. But the Hurricanes showed last night that, that this is their time. Their time is now. Um, and that's what you really wanted to see on, on the first game of a season where they're going to play 81 more pretty meaningless games till the playoffs start. <laughs> I like that. I like that. All right. Um, I was going to go right to the Panthers next after uh, allowing you to do that, but I, I find it funny. A text, a, a texter just said, oh, yay, here comes the FSU bashing from Luke DeCock. I love that of all the things that you're known for on this show, it's bashing the Florida State Seminoles for some reason. But um, I, I don't know. Do you have any strong thoughts about the Florida State Seminoles you'd like to share this week as a top five team in the country? No, I'm shy. I, I would have thought my reputation would be as a Miami basher. So uh, oh, do that then. Unexpected. Do that yeah, then. No, yes, I, please no, do I, do some of that. No, I, I mean, I, I, I will give Florida State credit, you know, that, that they, they seem to have their act together. And, um, uh, no, I, it's, 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 Miami is, is good as well. Um, and I, you, it, the thing with both these teams, historically, is you kind of keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, but it hasn't yet. And, you know, the, the, look, the football games in the triangle this week um, are huge. I mean, they're just, they're massive games. NC State at Duke, um, you know, NC State's trying to right the ship here. Uh, they've, got, they've got some work to do. And Duke is 
you know, trying to bounce back from the Notre Dame loss without prop, presumably Riley Leonard. Um, that's a big game, but it's honestly, it's not as big a game as the one in Chapel Hill. If UNC is for real, and I think there's a chance UNC is like legit for real, for real, because the defense has been better and Drake may is Drake may. And now you got Tez Walker back. Um, they, they, they got to show it against Miami. And if Miami is for real, this is a chance to, to, you know, kind of show that by beating UNC in Chapel Hill at night, it'll be a fun environment. So two huge games this weekend, really kind of find out games for, for all four teams. Um, these are, we've reached the point in the season where we're going to start really learning something about these teams. Um, is NC State good enough to beat Duke without Riley Leonard at Duke? Um, Duke's had a great environment in these night games. Now, some of that was that it was Clemson and Notre Dame, but hey, NC State's right there when it comes to games that, that Duke fans get excited about, games visiting, team, visiting fans show up for. Uh, so yeah, it's a really good weekend of football up here um, to continue the, you know, spreading the triangle love. I love it. Luke DeCock, Raleigh News and Observer, longtime sports columnist. He's with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. Just for the record, I don't think Miami can even be for real because Mario Cristobal is their head coach. Um, I do think North. I do. I don't think he's a good coach, Luke. I've been yelling about this since the oh, day they God. hired him. Do we need any more proof than last week? No, we shouldn't. I mean, great, re- great, great recruiter, great recruiter. Do not think he can coach his way out of a wet paper bag. He cannot. The proof is in the pudding. I don't know what anybody could be waiting for at this point. We know what he is. But real quick, just to uh, elaborate on that point about North Carolina. Um, I'm, I'm not a North Carolina fan by any stretch, I guess you'd say. But I, I notice a, a good, well-rounded football team when I see it. And I think North Carolina's got one. And I, I do believe that, you know, I'm watching Florida State, right? They're 5-0, and too. They deserve respect. But that's a football team that can be run on. And I know, I know North Carolina can run the football. That's, that's actually the reason why I think North Carolina might be the best team in this conference today. Am I crazy? No, I, I don't think you're crazy. I think, you know, this is something we talked about at the start of the year. Like, hey, is North Carolina maybe the second best team in this conference behind Florida State coming into the season? Uh, I think that's, I think it's an open debate right now, the way that, that North Carolina has played and gotten better. And now we'll have a Tez Walker with a full week of practice with the first team. If he's as good as North Carolina thinks he is, then that's a potential game changer because they already have weapons. I mean, Nate McCollum has done a great job coming in as a transfer. Um, the running backs have been good. Um, the offensive line's been fine. The defense has been much better. And Drake May is Drake May. I think Max says after every single game when someone asks him about Drake May, he just says, well, Drake May was Drake May. And like, as long as Drake May is Drake May, you've got a chance to win any game. And, and I'm really surprised, Kyle there hasn't been more sort of national Heisman talk about Drake May. I don't understand why with the numbers he's putting up, with the way he's helping them win games, and the fact that UNC is still undefeated, I'm just surprised that he hasn't sort of crossed that Rubicon into the, you know, the sort of uh, Saturday morning Heisman conversation. Maybe it, it takes beating Miami on a Saturday night to do it. But I would have thought coming into the year that he would have had a little bit more of a head start, but it just doesn't feel like he's gained the kind of traction I thought he would gain. Still plenty of time left. I mean, there's a lot of Heisman winners we weren't talking about on October 12th. Uh, and, and certainly we're talking a little bit about Drake May, but this is a huge chance for him to put up, you know, have a big game and that may change the entire conversation. I like it. All right. Now it's time to turn you loose on the Carolina Panthers. Go. No, I'm kidding. Um, but th- I mean, like this, where do we, where, I, 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 I'm, I'm running out of things, so I'm going to let you say the things. But what's wrong with them? Why are they 0-5? Is it fixable? How bad is it? Just just go. Yeah, I mean, I just I feel like, you know, I, I think they're going to look back and say that switching the defense was a mistake, well-intentioned as it may have been. I, you know, something Frank Reich said last week, um, maybe even it might even have been Monday, it just sort of kind of floated through my, my consciousness, something about, you know, David Tepper is not going to sit idly by while we're 0-5. And I was thinking, my Lord, man, the, the thing the Panthers need most is David Tepper to sit idly by. Uh, let your football people go to work. Because as we've talked about, I think if you look at sort of the, the 15th to 52nd players on 53rd players on this roster, um, I think Scott Fitter has actually done a pretty good job. Um, but when you have the quarterback situation they're in, there's a clear sort of disconnect on the field, at least, between what Frank Reich wants and what Bryce Young can execute. And then, you know, you've taken a, a, a 4-3 defense that was, you know, competent at worst, um, showed some, some moxie under Steve Wilkes, and turned it into a 3-4 where you've got guys like, you know, Brian Burns not playing in the position where he's had the most success. It's not that different, but it's different. 
Um, I just feel like there's been some mistakes. And then they never, the Panthers never helped themselves in August, right? All, every year, it's we're in a bad division. We're one player away. So the first time things start to go wrong, it starts to snowball because you've created unrealistic expectations. At some point, someone needs to take a step back and say, hey, we have got to build something. We have got to let our football people build something. And we've got to let the process play out. We can't keep veering from year to year and plan to plan and quarterback to quarterback. Um, but that's clearly what they have. And obviously hiring Matt Rule set this entire project back several years. But, um, you know, I, I think this is a time where people like, look, right, they're no fun to watch. Uh, people just need to have patience, and that includes David Tepper. I'm going to ask you a question that I know you cannot answer, but I hope you'll attempt to anyway. Um, <laughs> it, it is in a different timeline with, a, let's say, the same roster. Is the Steve Wilkes era better than this through five games? Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to say it is. And here's why. What we saw under Steve Wilkes at the end of last year was a team. I mean, the conversations we were having last year at this time were exactly the same. I mean, last year at this time is when I wrote the column that the Panthers weren't worth watching. They kind of became sort of worth watching under Steve Wilkes. And now they're right back to square zero. So I'm going to say that Steve, under Steve Wilkes, if he had gotten a full-time job right now, you and I could say here, hey, the Panthers may be 1-4, 2-3, and four, two and three, or 0-5, but they have an identity. We know what they're trying to do, and they're working toward that. I don't feel like I can say that right now. Mm, fair enough. Um, last thing, and I'll let you go. But I just didn't – what do they do about Brian Burns? Because he's a good player, and he should be paid a lot of money, but I don't know that he's worth the money that he wants them to pay him. And – he also might be the way that they get a first-round pick back, and I believe there's a chance that they do that, even if, it might, even if it might not be the right thing to do. So I'm not sure there's a right answer here, but what would you do? I'm going to play, I think, what was it, two years ago, the Taylor Moten card. You don't necessarily like the contract you're going to have to give him, but the consequences of not doing it outweigh the consequences of doing it. And you have a good player who seems to fit here, has had success here. You just bite the bullet and sign the check and move on. All right. Thank you, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it, Kyle. You've tuned into Instant Replay when the audio was so good, it has to be heard again. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The exclusive home of the Charlotte sports fan.